0: 32 counties united by people. My name is Una. And my name is Andrea. And this is United United Ireland.
1: Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what
0: they're talking about. On this week's episode, however, we're bringing our Sunday Suit series, Into the midweek, it's time for an intervention. Uh, With our brains scrambling, stress heightening, mood lowering, and a sense of general languishing, the word of the week, Uh, the national despondency is striking. So how can we, yes, you and I and us, by meaning in our current state? Why do things not feel optimistic, even though they're broadly getting Better in, in quotation marks. How can we ease our worries about this present moment and a blurry and confusing sense of future? This week's question,
1: Andrea Where's the meaning? This podcast runs entirely on the renewable fuel generated from Patreon solar panels, which you invest in by going to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and paying as little as three euro a week. To support our podcast. Um, thank you very much to those who do. We really appreciate it. Can you believe that this keeps going? It only does because you support it. So if you vibe off our vibes, swim in our sea of tranquility, and dive from our board of addressing your boredom, please go to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. And for just the price of an overpriced coffee in Ireland uh, every month at just three euro, you can keep this crazy show on a bumpy road.
0: I think three euro for a coconut latte is quite good value.
1: I think for a coconut latte, it's quite good value. I think for a regular dairy milk latte, uh, the markup is quite large. I understand the cafes use it to cover other costs. but I would prefer a, a milk-based coffee in and around a two euro price point. I think that would be fair.
0: Uh, I was going to go off extolling the virtues of not drinking dairy. But do you know what? Now's not the time. Instead, let's head to the state of the nation. What's the state of the nation this week? Landrea? So we're we're in one of those like key moments. It's a crunch time. Um, there is a lot going on behind the scenes. I can imagine. I don't actually know what's going on, but there's a lot of t- <laughs> there's a lot of talk about ministers wanting as wide an opening as possible, um, and. A lot of lobbyists are out, we have the pub industry out, we have the beauty industry out, we have everybody out, uh, the hospitality industry out shouting that they need to open. Um, now it does have a sense of deja vu It's coming in to a time when our cases were low and things were looking good and we were set on a meaningful Christmas and look how that worked out. So I Whilst I am one of the very um people very affected by this, um my business is very much in uh in this conversation, I am very nervous uh, uh, very nervous about what way this will go and the pressure that's being put on externally for this to happen. Um as much as I want things to open up and I want to maybe, you know, have an income. Um I am very nervous, especially watching what's happening in India. India went down to 100 cases a day and now they are recording up to 315,000 in a single day and their death rate is gone to like 350 a day Um, and they were were in a better situation than we were. So, I am watching that one with interest. I think it's going to be very uh, interesting to see how that goes given that... The mistakes that were made at Christmas, that there's a lot of pressure to not make those mistakes again. But at the same time, there's also a lot of pressure from lobbyists and from people who just are over lockdown. And I just they just want answers that maybe can't be provided by governments. Um, but then you have to like look at the fact that we do have that Indian strain in Ireland. We had three cases of it and how unforgivable that is, that that was allowed to happen. It's like we've done all we can. We've literally sit within our four walls and the fact that m- new strains are getting in is just, to me, um, undefensible. Indefensible. Yeah,
1: I guess we are in a different position in a way in that sh- should there be another surge, uh,
0: it can't be blamed on the population.
1: Well, I think it's it's that um, the people who would suffer the most from that older people, people in congregated care settings, medically vulnerable people, a lot, um, a lot of people have not vaccinated. Right. So I guess the thinking is how do you weigh up this new unknown in terms of how much you can ease restrictions while a vaccine rollout is going on, which is a diff- totally different situation than we've had previously.
0: I just um, feel like it's a very precarious situation for yeah. the next few weeks, given our rollout has been so slow. And whilst it's been targeted at those who really need it, that you'd love a little, like, I feel like I'm on Netflix. You'd love another couple of weeks of vaccinations under your belt before the pressure came through.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. And also we are stagnating in terms of case numbers every day. Uh, in and around 350 to 400. And that's actually a lot. You know, we, we, um, I suppose previously, if, if case numbers were like that, there wouldn't be an indication that we could open up. So I guess we'll just see, see what happens. But I think, yeah, it's going to be um, a tense few weeks and that all feeds into our topic today.
0: But also what's interesting is like Cork had seven cases and you kind of feel sorry for counties that are literally like five cases and still on level five lockdown. Hmm.
1: yeah it's a tricky little conundrum um
0: what else is going on uh the wonderful dup uh, <laughs> voted against outlawing conversion therapy and this came a week after arlene foster was given out that she was being called homophobic she said, hey hey you guys i've got gay friends and then her and her party voted against this uh, practice that is absolutely barbaric Um, and it's absolutely disgusting actually and another thing that I saw was that uh, the LGB Alliance have been marked as a charity in the UK and there's uh, a lot of uproar about that given how they have been very uh, hostile to trans people. Yeah, that's all kind of dismal, isn't it? Um, what's this about Little offering free period products? Um, Homeless Period Ireland is run by this superwoman called Claire. And she has been campaigning for period poverty and to try and solve it for a long time, like pretty much on her own. And... The other day, Little announced that they are have teamed up with Homeless Period Ireland to offer free period products to uh, you get one box a month and um, through their app. And they are teaming up with uh, Simon Community for those who may not have apps or, pho- or phones to make sure that those who need it can get them. So it really, like, it's such a bittersweet, it's not very bittersweet, it's brilliant news, but it's just so frustrating when you see Things like this being left to the corporate and commercial worlds where the people who should be providing for society uh, keep putting it on long fingers and not addressing issues that need to be addressed. And then corporations step in. Um, So great that we have corporations to do it. But like, again, it kind of is my all time question of who's meant to be providing for the society we live in.
1: Speaking of uh, commercial provision of public amenities, there has been some movement on the endless, circular, demoralising conversation on public toilets in Dublin City. Two things have happened: Dublin City Council put out a tender for uh, public for t- not well, they wouldn't be public toilets because they wouldn't be public. So they put out a tender for um, toilets. Basically, and it's a really actually weird tender tender. So it's for retail units. So they want um, retail units to have to allow for toilet provision. Uh, this doesn't mean temporary toilets next to a retail unit or port loose So in order to fulfill this tender, the toilet would have to be kind of in a retail unit so it's basically a toilet in a shop or a restaurant or a pub or whatever and it can't be 200 metres beside or within 200 metres of another place selling a similar product
0: a similar product being toilet juice
1: <laughs> being like whatever coffee or whatever yeah. uh, it has to be serviced and accessible and cleaned so it would have to be staffed obviously DCC will not have any responsibility for uh, electricity, water, all that kind of stuff. Um, Although they will facilitate a request if required for a diesel generator. (laughs) Um, And really weirdly at the end of this tender, it says it is envisaged that this will be a cost neutral operation with Dublin City Council neither making nor receiving a payment from the operator. So if you're putting something out to tender, but there's not any payment for it, where's the impetus to actually do it? Unless you're basically getting into the business of toilet provision, so you're going to like make money. I guess if you charge people, you could make money. But it's just like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I've so I've been literally <laughs> having breakdowns about public to- or trying to keep abreast of this kind of stuff. So I'm like s- stepping away. But um, there was another thing as well that the council is opening up some public buildings, uh, which is it's really like good. Libraries good news.
0: and sports facilities.
1: Yeah. So uh, so that people can use their toilets. So that's a good idea. Uh, I've done my. DCC rant, and I won't be doing it again this week, although stay tuned. <laughs> um, Minister Donnelly has been up to things. What has he been up to, Andrea? He's been up to many things.
0: Um, this is a good thing, though. Okay. Uh, new funding for women's health projects, which includes 641,000 investment in endo services in Dublin. And that is so welcome because there's so many issues around endo and um, people never getting um a proper diagnosis and um i've worked not i know a lot of people who campaign for endo stuff and also a lot of my staff suffer from it and have it's taken like five or six years to get any sort of uh, help so good that there's a focus on women's health uh for once and that was part there's like um, gynecology is overstretched and um, and as we've seen I suppose this kind of ties in with the, the blood clot conversation that's got been going around from the vaccines and uh, women's contraception and that now money is put into research and development in women's health and blah 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 so it's a good day um, for the health of women.
1: Yeah maybe there would be like some bigger conversation about the provision of services and resources and information for women's health across the board, because it really oftentimes feels like some like magical abstract labyrinth that you must navigate. And here are some riddles. (laughs) Here's a riddle about what you might be experiencing. Who knows? I mean, I certainly found that myself when um, I had to have a hysterectomy and you know therefore experience and menopause I have my ovaries removed as well and it's like you go and look for all of this it's like okay well this is a medical condition that every um or the vast majority of women go through if they reach a particular age or if they've premature menopause or whatever where's all the medication where's all the help and it's like literally la 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 the change maybe it's this maybe it's that it's like are you Anyways, very very frustrating. Um, so hopefully, with all of the reveals, the pandemic has caused women's health. Um, maybe maybe one day prioritised. Okay, now we're getting to the big soothe. This is our big soothing episode where we're discussing the mood of the moment and how maybe to get through it. Maybe we could have some like wind chimes in here.
0: Or Madonna, I Made It Through the Wilderness.
1: Both of those. That'll be up to Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for whatever selection you've made. Okay, Andrea, why are we discussing this this week?
0: Well, Una, it's so weird how the uh, universe operates. So we've been having these conversations um, and that I've found very helpful to get through these stages and the wisdom that we impart on each other, I feel like is very um, good at processing trauma and that's just our day to day. We're just great to each other. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then a few other people just had been kind of onto me about how they were feeling, how they were, felt so empty, how there was nothing more. And I was like, well, actually, I've been having this conversation a lot. Here's some of my uh, thoughts on it. And I was like, you know, we need to do an episode of this. The very next day, an article came out in the New York Times that was one of the most shared things I've seen in a long time that literally surmised all of our thoughts and feelings and conversations very succinctly and very well. And, um, and the amount of people then I met who just seemed to speak about this article. So it feels like we are having this collective consciousness of languishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you maybe want to talk to us about what that languishing is? Right. So I think
1: it's it's interesting that so many people who are, uh, I suppose, open to a collective mood um, and who are moved by, you know, the changes in phases of energy and the moods that we subsume and, 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 and where we're at collectively uh, experience a kind of a similar thing. And so I guess at the moment we're in this weird space between things getting better, but things remaining stagnant and lockdown has ground us down. Obviously, it's, it's hard to feel a sense of optimism, even though the vaccine rollout is happening. And maybe we've gone from feeling discombobulated by an uncertain present to feeling at odds with an uncertain future. So this article that came out in the New York Times um, that coincides with this podcast, so thanks to the New York Times for that collab, <laughs> um, it, was, it was about this state of languishing. And I think that uh, what the thing that the author says in, in the piece is, you know, the, it's really important to name emotions or to give emotions a name because it allows you then... Well, first of all, you feel recognition and then it allows you to figure out how to kind of address this thing and you don't feel like you're going crazy or that you're just like in low mood. So here's a quote from the article to define languishing. Languishing is the neglected middle child of mental health. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls dulls your motivation, disrupts your ability to focus and triples the odds that you'll cut back on work. It appears to be more common than major depression. And in some ways, it may be a bigger risk factor for mental illness. So I think that that vibe of languishing, um, that is not just this kind of we're in limbo. There's definitely a lowness to it. And there's definitely a, a type of low level depressive feeling to it but you're not necessarily completely cracking up. That's a very blunt way to put something. Um, But I think within that you've identified, Andrea, what what people are talking about. People have kind of repeatedly felt this um, feeling and and it's interesting how this statement kind of circles back. What's the point? You know, like, where is the meaning when we're just kind of floating along? Um, And I think there's there's within that search for meaning there can be a reflection on the past and the way things used to be and within that there might also be a bit of a a crisis or a a kind of a spin a little bit of a spin out of out of control like you don't necessarily have anything to hang your hat on and it's kind of like well what was my life populated with beforehand and were those things important who were we before lockdown and who are we now? Um, Sarah was saying something the other day that I thought was very pertinent in that when we talk about the past, you know, we go, well, in the before times, it was like this, or I did this, or I missed this. Yet the longer this goes on, the past becomes the pandemic as well, right? So we have over a year now of our lives that have been in this state. So it becomes increasingly difficult to click back into what we did before and why we did them and what, what what were we filling our lives with? So I think that people feel and are different to this time last year. You know, we're all, we've all changed. I think this has all changed us. Um, if you're not open to change and if you're just like, la, la, la blinkers, then probably not, but, you know, equally probably not listening to this podcast, <laughs> but we've kind of yet to road test our new personalities or articulate our learnings in the real world or reveal how we've changed other people um a woman i know recently had a baby uh was sharing this piece on instagram about um if you've become a mother during this moment that has changed you completely like you now have a new facet to your personality yet nobody can see it you know no like people are aware that you have had a kid but they're not they're not able to uh, relate with you or communicate with you or see you in real life. And I think that that's kind of a heightened version of how we have changed and people can't necessarily see the new versions of us.
0: I also think that on the flip side of that, maybe new people that have come into your life don't get to see the old version of you and what you had. And there's a very hard conversation to have about languishing and like, when you're being kind of like encouraged, why don't you just get dressed and go out? And you're like, I don't want to. Like, that's a lot of work that you're, it's very hard to, to, to communicate why that is a difficult thing. Whereas I feel like the naming of that is really valuable in terms of them being able to say, this is why I can't do that. And this is not what I am or what I have been. And how does the past with the recent past merge to create the butterfly that's going to continue on? I don't say emerge, because it's not going to be an emergence, because we're not just gonna suddenly come be like open the door one day and be like, okay, it's it's the new day. We're we're merging all of that into this, into this new what will be our new version of ourselves, which is the heightened version of the past past plus the like the languished version of the recent past where it's very hard to think about what the medium version of yourself will be.
1: Right. And, um, you know, our sense of identity is reinforced through connection, right? So through relationships, through having our feelings and our thoughts and our existence affirmed by those around us, Um. And we are having this kind of like, we are the trees falling in the woods maybe, and nobody's around to hear that. Uh, Yet when we exist in real life surrounded by people, we very much know who we are in relation to other people. So we've gone a long time with not having those kind of connections and actually a lot of people doing a lot of inner work and a lot of self-development through which you change. Mm. So for the most part, you know, It's kind of, we realize that we've changed. We're still less sure about who we are now. We may be even less sure again about who we were before. And then trying to figure out how we can find meaning in, you know, what is kind of an emotional desert in some ways, like, or or, no, that's incorrect. Things are emotionally flat, yet we're also experiencing quite extreme um, emotions kind of moving within us, even though we're kept in this kind of purgatorial state. And I think that like, you know, the version of myself now in a pandemic who has to pull on all these different, on these different coping mechanisms is totally different to the way I am and the way I move through the world and even my personality before now. Like before now I was not, you know, plunging in ice cold water of Dublin Bay to feel something, or you know, sitting around burning incense and reading I Ching, or, you know, doing these these uh acts and making these gestures. Um and I suppose maybe I didn't need them before. Maybe that was a mistake. Uh and 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 I suppose we're kind of Trying to,
0: or maybe you did need them before and you didn't let them in.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, the, so the, all of those things are changes. But when we are changing, uh, and nothing is changing, around, or there's a sense of stagnancy around us, it, it it's a it's a weird vibe. It's it's very difficult to root yourself. Um, so yeah, so that's that's I think the the issue that we're identifying, and. Um, I hope people kind of relate to that. I think a lot of people do, but moving on from that, what are the lessons we can draw from to find meaning and search for meaning?
0: Now, are we talking about finding meaning like right now, or are we talking about finding meaning when we emerge like butterflies out of a pandemic cocoon?
1: I think that when we emerge, uh, that like I can't you know I can't even actually conceptualize that like I think that what will happen then will happen I don't know what the new world is going to be like I don't know what's going to be what the emotions of that are going to be I know a lot of people do feel you know socially or de-socialized and kind of institutionalized by their own living environment or their own like very very contracted social group uh so I'm not sure if I will have the capacity to, you know, definitely not to small talk, you know, and, and or have the capacity to move through the world or relate to people in the way that I used to. I know that, you know, there's also a, f- a feeling that I have. So I think we're talking about finding meaning now, right? And, and the search okay. for meaning more yeah. generally. But there's also a feeling that I have of like. Am I going to be ready for thing you know for the for the new world like there's an anxiety of that as well around that like but that i, I think i don't have a sense of like i'll be hitting the ground running
0: i know but I, the definition of anxiety is the thinking about the future or the past rather than being in the present mm. and also uh by thinking about something that's not happening you are going to engage in that experience twice so you're going to double the trauma of what's involved if it is traumatic so by trying to not foresee the emergence and rather be where we are right now i think is very key and not think about what's it going to be like when instead what's it like now
1: Mm, i think we need more wind chimes there to mark that excellent point by andrea So one of the things that um, I always turn to when I'm trying to look for meaning is a book that I've mentioned uh, on this podcast before, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Here's a little clip of Viktor Frankl being interviewed on something related to that.
2: Dr. Frankl, what is the difference between people who are able to pick themselves up, get over life's problems and those who are not? The decisive factor... Is decision, the freedom to, of choice, the freedom to come up with a decision. It should
1: be. I would like to become this way or another, in spite of
0: conditions that should only seem to fully determine my behavior. I wish to act freely as a responsible being, a, which is a human being. I wish to act. In accord with
1: heredity and environment, using, owing what I become to them. But also, if need be, in spite of the worst conditions. I'll talk about this book a little bit later, as it is our book of the week, book of the week, book of the week. Um, But basically, uh, it's about when you have, when everything is taken away from you. And when you are in the most extreme situation imaginable in Viktor Frankl's case in Auschwitz and when there are forces that are completely dehumanizing you and punishing you for no good reason and the degradation is so amplified How do you get through something like that? And where is the meaning in the evil act that is being done for you, done to you? And what meaning can you extract from something that just seems so extraordinarily brutal? And one of the most kind of famous quotes from this book is those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. So what Frankel kind of Deduced from his experience in the concentration camps and in death camps and in Dhaka as well, was people who were able to hang on to some kind of meaning and some kind of higher purpose uh, were more likely, if they weren't just you know murdered arbitrarily, to survive the extremity of the brutality and suffering of a concentration camp. So that's obviously, you know, the Holocaust and the concentration camps are the most extreme and brutal and horrific uh, examples of the evil that is committed uh, on people and the suffering that kind of emerges from that. And, I found myself like throughout my life kind of gravitating towards these settings of suffering. Um, And I think it's because a, to kind of face up to how rotten um, people can be to each other and how horrific things can get when hate takes hold. And also to think about the resilience of the human spirit um, and, and I've, I've, I've never kind of thought, I've only been thinking about this recently, that this is actually something that I have done in my life, like be it like visiting Auschwitz, um, a couple of times or going to places where extreme suffering occurred. Like I remember being in the, the genocide, um, Memorial Museum in Kigali, And just reading about the horrors that unfolded or going to the Museum of War Crimes in um, uh, Ho Chi Minh City or like kind of going to these places that are so filled with suffering. To acknowledge and understand and see and learn the history, but also to reflect on the fact that people persevered and had resilience and got through it. And I think that it's really difficult to tell people, you know, find meaning. But I think when we read about and learn about uh, extreme human suffering and also containment, like I found myself reading an awful lot of books about prisons um, and policing and things like that, that we can begin to extract learnings from that even though our experience as we know is so in this pandemic is like not comparable at all. Right. I mean, it goes without saying like, it's just absolutely not comparable. Um, we're just in a lockdown because of, of a pandemic. Um, but I think that as you said at the top, Andrea, like the pandemic reveals loads of things around meaning Why do we perceive that there is a lack of meaning right now? And maybe we're confused about whether or not we had meaning before now. Sometimes I wonder, did I confuse meaning with just like doing stuff? Like, were we just distracting ourselves or like filling a void with activities or things? But then I go back to moments of hardship in my life and think about how did I get through those and why? Because it's not just to exist. It's not just to live. Um, And to try and go back to a time that was really difficult and go, okay, what did that teach me? And what tools did I pull on, even if I didn't know I was doing it, like in an emergency lever scenario that got me through that? And how can I go back to those coping mechanisms or tools now because I have learned them. So how can I rediscover them? What do you think about that when it comes to like hardship?
0: I think when we talk about meaning, I think the reason why the pandemic has felt so hard is because to me, meaning is connection. And when you take away connection, everything else fades even if you're doing the same things and that's why i think languishing is so prevalent because it's the journey like you can still be doing exactly the same actions work um output um all that kind of thing but without the connections that are involved and the energy exchanges all of that is meaningless. So you could like, um, we've talked about this in regards to a certain project we worked on that the project still happened. The output remained the same, but the experience of the people you meet along the way, the connections you make, the experiences maybe you travel for is taken away. And that's what infuses the meaning in the work and in the, in the day-to-day life. So I suppose when you try to to take away other people from your meaning and try to look inside for singular meaning rather than having an external meaning that is through connection i think that's a challenge because i think uh and I, i suppose isn't that the point of enlightenment but the you can be enlightened but being enlightened alone is not for me. Mm. <laughs> it's just not for me, you know. Yeah. Um, but like, I feel like the, having the personal enlightenment is all well and good. hello Buddha and Horan, but without anyone to share that enlightenment or to experience moments and all we have is the present moment. And um, if you don't have engagement and uh, energy exchanges, I feel like it's the it feels meaningless.
1: Right. So the connection is the external uh, meaning, you know? Yeah. And it's an exchange as well. So it is also coming from you. But then the internal meaning or enlightenment or search um, is the thing that is kind of spinning a little bit as well. So I completely relate on the, on the connection thing. You know, I think that especially as, as a more like as quite an extroverted person, you know, I think some people get energy, uh, from social situations in, in a way of kind of like solar, like they stand there and like the energy of the room, or the, or the environment comes down to them. I'm more of a, like a dynamo type uh, person where I need to like be spinning around and be moved to get that. So I guess, you know, knowing that people are struggling with meaning, knowing that we can look to moments of hardship uh, to remind ourselves, be that personal or something that happened elsewhere to other people at another moment in history, to understand the resilience of the human spirit, what can we do then? You know, how do we um, either rediscover meaning or center ourselves in a way that feels like we can go on effectively? Because I think one of the things, obviously, that the pandemic took away was the sense of future, sense of potential. And when we don't have a sense of momentum or progress, it stagnates us and makes us feel like well, nothing's happening. So what is the point of putting like one foot in front of the other or self-actualizing again and again? Um, So maybe it's time for more wind chimes as we descend into what can we do?
0: What are the solutions? Oh my God, I can't believe we're about to solve life. Well, one of the things that the
1: languishing piece points out, which is very pertinent, I think, is this, you know, the concept of flow, of being immersed in something um, and of feeling kind of so out of yourself, but in yourself that you're not necessarily uh, occupying yourself with other thoughts or the external world isn't coming in and that you feel in a stream where things are, are, are going through you and it's a, it's a beautiful kind of vibe. And obviously like artists experience this, musicians experience this occasionally, <laughs> writers, uh, it's, it's um, a thing that, you know, kind of happens and you have to like, not think about it for it to happen. And a lot of this as well is rooted in, you know, conversations about meditation, right? But, but meditation is a, is a really difficult discipline you know it's something that a lot of people struggle with oftentimes we can find our mind wandering you know literally after a few seconds
0: but i think i suppose isn't the main thing about meditation that you're that you're not trying to ex ex, ex or get rid of thoughts you're what you're trying to do is allow them to exist without judgment and to let them go thoughts and etc and just watch on of them rather than be engaged in them
1: yeah when it is, one of the very forgiving aspects of the languishing piece is how the author talks about like, you know, you can be immersed in a, you know, in a Netflix show. And, and that can give you an escape. I've definitely found through my ongoing Sopranos binge and my completion of the three seasons of Formula One Drive to Survive that those things that are. I've,
0: I've rewatched Sex and the City twice. <laughs> yeah, but all like, six seasons.
1: But <laughs> those things, I think, what is characteristic of those, uh, all three of those seminal shows, <laughs> is that they offer an escape. And you're not necessarily checking your phone or you're not being pulled out. Back into the outer world of uncertainty, you're actually based within a world that, uh, for a brief moment in time, you can kind of submerge your, yourself in. I mean, drive to survive in particular I wrote a small piece about it for the Times. I think it's coming out next week or something. Um, for me, is really pleasurable because it also has the added um, the added aspect of adrenaline built into it you know because you're watching these races and and it's really tense and people are trying to overtake and and it really made me realize how you know that that part of kind of the the sympathetic nervous system is is missing from our daily lives because there aren't really any surprises or you know adrenaline type vibes so giving yourself uh an escape that is flow-based um or immersive is something that you can do to counteract the languishing. Um, What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I'm all for it. Lost in music, as they say.
1: Yes. Um, And it doesn't have to be, you know, an artistic pursuit that will make you beat yourself up if you can't complete it. You know, it can also be, um, obviously, nature you know, all these fucking trite things that people have been banging on about for ages. But I think it's less about paint a picture, do a jigsaw and more about what is the thing that... What can
0: you get lost in?
1: Yes, what can you get lost in? Exactly. Um, And then the other part of it is this frustration that we have with the outer world. And, you know, the extreme version of that is people like going on anti-lockdown protests. And the less extreme version of that is, you know, going banana town on social media, giving out about which minister or politician or scientist, you know, saying whatever. Um, is getting the good money. They've been paid. Or um, another version of that is like, you know, leaning into obliteration to not face what's going on. So like getting hammered or like, you know, just, uh, you know, taking loads of drugs or something to just like escape from the situation. And all of these things are like, you know, endangering your safety and the safety of others by shooting a firework at a cop or um, going into like destructive hedonistic practices or, you know, screaming at the internet these are all very destructive uh behaviors that are not going to help you and it's that thing of like when we can't change a situation we have to change ourselves which again is hard work and annoying um but it makes me think again of that design thinking framework of clocks clouds gravity talked to you about that before haven't i
0: I've no memory, so maybe it obviously made an impact. <laughs> so the clocks, cla-
1: this is like an abridged version of it. But like this clocks, clouds, gravity framework for trying to figure out what the problem is. So a lot of the time, people jump to solutions and they and they think they're addressing something, but they don't actually. They're actually answering the wrong question. They haven't asked the right question, which regards so they don't know the real problem. Okay. So, like for example, um,
0: if it's like. I'm just going to... Okay, I, I want to know, know what, what clocks cloud gravity have to... What's their symbolism? Okay, so
1: a clock problem is a technical problem. Um, it means that there is like something technical wrong that could be easily fixed. So let's say... Let's let's talk about like a bus. So um, the buses aren't running on time. And one of the reasons for that is, is that the engine is too slow. So like that would be a clock problem. So you'd okay. like get a better engine. So it has a very obvious solution that's technical. A cloud problem is a problem where um, there's actually multiple potential solutions. Um, And that this is the space where collaboration can occur and innovation can occur. So you can posit loads of different ways to fix something. So it might be the bus is slow, we fix the engine. Actually, maybe we need to change the bus route maybe we need to put like more bus stops here or more bus stops there or a driver or a better driver. Or maybe we need to like do a campaign for more people to get the bus or something like that. Okay. So there's, that's the, the space where you can actually, you know, come up with new thinking. A gravity problem is the situation itself that's out of control. So to stop the bus example and say, uh, let's say you're, you're unhappy in your work. So the clock problem would be, um, I don't really like the tasks that I have to do. So it's like, okay, we'll change that, address the task. The cloud problem would be, actually my role is a bit in-betweeny or muddy at the moment and I need to figure out a new way to do different things or maybe go for a different job within the company. Okay, that's the cloud problem. You can think of loads of things to make that better. The gravity problem might be, I actually cannot stand this company and what they do. And I hate all of the management or something. And it's like, okay, that problem, that's out of your control. The thing that people do is they spend most of their time trying to rail against or fix gravity problems that are not actually in their control. And that's where we get things like burnout. We get things about people like getting very, um, Uh, getting kind of emotional difficulties or mental difficulties with with what they're trying to address because you can't do it. So, uh, you know, living in a country with a government that is very unsatisfactory is kind of a gravity problem, right? Because although we have elections, we cannot change the personalities of people in cabinet or we cannot change their competency. Yes, most people spend an awful lot of time Uh, And I do it for a career as like, you know, really going this, giving out about this kind of stuff and getting really angry about it. And it's like, ultimately it's not, you're not in control of it. So what you do within that context is either you, you identify which kind of problem it is. And when a situation doesn't serve you, let's say if it's a big, massive gravity problem, you can still create your own ecosystem within it to survive. Yeah. Or just like, Accept it. So there's a certain amount of this current situation that we have to completely accept, and change our response. So you you while you may not have the choice to go to a club, go to a club, or you don't have a choice for the lockdown to change, you can change your response to it.
0: Make the club in your house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, do that.
0: Perfect.
1: So yeah, so like another kind of uh, thing around like how do I find meaning? How do I get through each day? Is like, and this is some a tra- oh, trap that I fall into. So much is that I I you know I do these to do lists and I like I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to read every day. I have to do yoga every day. I have to go for a walk every day. I have to go for a run every day. Blah blah. And I set myself these like really outcome focused kind of vibes, and actually what that hap- what that does is for whatever fucking suburban youngest born trauma <laughs> I've suffered, it's like, oh, I'm just setting myself up to fail all the time. I'm doing these things so I won't complete them so I can punish myself, you know, and be like, you're not good enough. Um, Which is what loads of people do. You're looking with shock there. This is like a norm, and I have no shame in, in admitting this complete, like, psychosis that I'm constantly in for all of my life. But so it's like, okay, forget about setting yourself all of these, like goals and like mission if I don't do this blah 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 and focus more on creating the conditions where the desired results can happen so instead of being like I have to sit down here and I have to write these 3,000 words today instead of that go what conditions could I create today that would make writing really enjoyable and once you stop thinking about what you have to do or what you're meant to do and instead create the conditions that will make it more likely to happen within, you'll probably get it done without even thinking about it, without putting that pressure on yourself.
0: Tricking yourself. Uh-huh, I like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what about other kind of ways to find meaning and purpose within this moment, Andrea?
0: Um, I think accepting the impermanence of life. And I was out for a walk with an my yoga teacher hooked me up with this woman who just arrived in the country and we went for a walk and she's a buddhist whatever and we're talking about the meaning of life blah, blah blah you know the ish and she was like the main problem that we're all experiencing is that we think that everything's going to stay the same and as soon as you let go of of that desire and want and need the easier it is to be able to move forward in the changes that are happening and that if everything stays the same and doesn't change and that these cycles don't happen everything stays stale and there's no room for growth change or further meaning to be discovered so without this you would you may have felt happier before corona bc but actually that might have led to a longer term uh lack of growth and stalemate in your life and in the world and um and things that are happening that may not you might not be experiencing good things but small good things could be happening to other people that makes it worth it so to accept that impermanence and to lean into
1: it. Yeah, that's great. And I think that it's also hard to accept. Um, it's hard to really dig into the fact that the only thing permanent is change when it does feel stagnant. So we can't, like that thing of change, change always occurring we probably didn't notice how important that was in our lives for a sense of potential and momentum until we were in a a condition or situation where it feels like everything's stopping and nothing's changing and nothing's, you know, nothing's moving.
0: And I have changed the most in the shortest period of time in the whole world that I have in this quotation marks stagnant period than I have when everything was moving really fast. Right on. That is so true. That is such a good
1: lesson. Yes, as still and seemingly stalled everything has been. Just think of the development that we've all done ourselves. Uh, good time to be talking about the impermanence of life, Andrea. As as you know, it is, of course, uh, blossom season, cherry blossom season and <sighs> Hanami being the activity of looking and at and appreciating blossoms to acknowledge uh, the impermanence of life and transience in general. So well done to the in thousands of years of Japanese culture for coming up with that little nugget. Uh. So we hope that you have enjoyed our dissection of le la languish uh, um, in these um, in these three stages of what's the feeling what are the lessons we can draw from elsewhere in our lives and outside of that and what we can do. Uh, and I believe it's a good time for some wind chimes. Okay, Andrea, uh, much like um, the plunge I took in Sea Point the other night, it's time for Get in the Sea.
0: I really kind of, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to get in the sea right now or go with bananas because I'm so namaste after all my learnings. Well, we could skip straight to fave bits. Do you think? Yeah, why not? We're in control, aren't we? Yes. Okay, well, on board Panala, you're not getting in the sea for your stupid co-living at Heinz and uh, four apartment blocks with one reaching 19 storeys in height and comprising 492 built to rent apartments that nobody's going to be able to buy um, and 240 shared accommodation or co-living units. And also, it will not be bananas that the (laughs) former art centre that developers bought for four million and let go to waste is now on the market for 35 million um, due to, just pure speculation and that there needs to be a dereliction and vacant property tax. We won't talk about them. Instead, straight to Fave Bits. Woo!
1: What are your Fave Bits this week?
0: Uh, uh, my first one is Bidding Adieu. Uh, Annie Mac says goodbye to BBC One. I thought it was a poignant time and time to reflect on the journey of music and to basically just say goodbye to our BBC journey. At the top at the top, always a good time to yeah. move on. Um, and then my other fake bit, I haven't experienced it yet, but I've discovered it. So 1815 FC is a football club that with no home, essentially. Um, and I didn't really understand what it was, but they posted something about um, the Super European Super League and like getting back into the spirit of local and how financial worlds doesn't like it's not just about football. So I found this 1815 FC and basically what it does is it has football matches in public spaces. Um, in public pitches to highlight the importance of public space and connection and community, and it moves around all of them. And it, uh, Robbie Kit was kind of telling me to go down and go on the sidelines because what it does is acts as positive engagement with public space as a form of protest against its eradication. So I just think using football as that tool for that is a really interesting thing and using all these pitches around the city that are so integral to having a green space and a community space. So I really, uh, they're on uh, Instagram, 1815SC, very interesting. Even if you're not into football, as I am not.
1: Although you are in a big football tip this week with your bonus episode. Oh yeah, I forgot
0: about that. Yes, but football and art. Uh, Do you want to tell? Oh yeah, sorry. (laughs) Marco Mara has just been appointed the club artist officer for Bohemians, so he's involved in um, reaching out to community and uh, creating artwork um, and tapping into the actually rich heritage football has with art that you kind of don't think about Um, and just like I I'm not into football, but I'm very into Bose and what they do in terms of community, in terms of using their platform for good, in terms of raising awareness about issues, um, and in terms of equality. Their female team, like I just think, as uh, an example of cl- of public owned um, co-op style operation, it's a really interesting uh, project.
1: Um. I think there's going to be a massive League of Ireland boom on the other side of this.
0: A hundred percent,
1: and I'm here for it. Um, of course, inevitably, I will be supporting Bows as uh, they are my closest club, and they're would getting I, all they're getting all the press at the moment in terms of different of teams over the past year.
0: Would I support Shamrock Rovers?
1: You could, yeah. Um you get on get on to Buzz O'Neill there and he'll be
0: uh But like their talent, that's where I'm from, but who would be my team in town? Set in like Dublin night, Maybe I'll start one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Tropical Popical
1: FC coming soon, twenty twenty two. Imagine
0: the costumes. I mean kit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I only actually think this is a really, really good idea. Okay, um, I have one fave bit this week. Um, it is Kojak's new tune, the title track to his album, Town's Dead. It is an absolute belter, amazing girl bands uh, sample, amazing lyrics. Uh, it's just fab. So go listen to Town's Dead. It's a real like, rah! of those when you just need to blast something in your ears. uh, Big up Kajak. Okay. Book of the week. Book of the week. You've guessed it. We've already talked about it. It's man's... Imagine the kind of blurb for this book, which is like so serious, but also really positive. Amazing. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. It's a really short book as well. If you've never read it, I feel like I'm, you know, trying to really push this down people's throat. Loads of people have read it. It's sold a bajillion, bajillion copies. If you haven't Order it from an independent bookshop and give it a read or borrow it from a friend. It's well worth it. Um, I'm going to leave you with another quote from it uh, that I think is very instructive. Don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a greater cause than oneself or is the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness must happen, and the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I want you to listen to what your conscience demands you do, and go on to carry it out to the best of your knowledge. Then you will live to see that in the long run, in the long run I say, success will follow you precisely because you had forgotten to think about it. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan the Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for a soundtrack. Sarah Fox Bing did all our design. Andrea, shall we have a dance?
0: Oh my god, yes. This song is made for walking down the road with your earphones in. And I know you get warnings when you put it too high, but put that tune all or volume all the way up. It's called Come Back by Nimmo and it's just a song for the sun.
1: I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrew Horan. This has been United Ireland.
0: And that was the big suit. Get it back. Get it back. What
2: you wanted? What you need to go? Get it back. On track. You devoted your whole life to the thrill. What you want to feel about it, feel about it, come back into my heart.